This is the Made It in Music podcast. I'm Seth Mosley, and this is Show 157. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What's up? This is Seth Mosley, and you're on the Made It in Music podcast. And today we've got a good one. We've got my friend Dave Pettigrew, who is an absolutely innovative, independent artist. But I, I, there's so many things I could I could say in his introduction. I'll get to some of that in a bit. Um, but just know that it is going to be worth your time on so many levels, uh, especially if you're an independent musician trying to navigate the craziness of the 2020 music industry. But before we jump into that, um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to those of you listeners who are on our email list. We've started using it in some new ways where every month we're showcasing new releases. We're showcasing a few of the biggest news stories in the music industry. And I'm also sharing some of the lessons that we're learning. And that's all exclusive to those who are on the email list. No one else gets access to this. It's only for those of you who are on our email list. So to join, just go to our website, fullcirclemusic.com, and you can sign up right on the homepage. Again, that's fullcirclemusic.com. All right. So we've got Dave Pettigrew, like I said, with us. He is a music supervisor. He's an independent artist. He's a concert promoter, an all-around brilliant guy. Dave, thanks for being with us on the show today. My pleasure. Happy to be here. So start us off and let's, let's just go all the way back to the beginning. What first inspired you to get into music and, and, and specifically, you know, worship music? Cause that's, that's a lot of what you're doing now. Yeah. Interesting. I first uh, moved to New York city right after I graduated from Berkeley college of music in Boston to join a band and become a rock star. And that just all fell apart. So then I needed to find a way to actually make a living as a musician. So I started playing blues bars, was doing about five or six gigs a week uh, for 20 bucks a night, and then jumped over to doing weddings. And I was ended up, you know, we built the wedding business up over eight or 10 years, did 120 weddings a year, booking the band from anywhere from five to $10,000 a night. It was just crazy. And then I got tired of singing YMCA and Disco Inferno and uh, <laughs> wanted to release a record and started playing church basements and losing money every single night. So it was, it was, it's been an interesting walk. And then all along that, I've had a full-time job as I built that entire career uh, in the music supervision and uh, production business with EMI Music Publishing, which is now owned by Sony, and Warner Chapel Music Publishing, and then Warner Records as well uh, and my, at the end of my time there. So we have a mutual friend who's been on our podcast before, Chad Segura, um, was actually how we met. Did you guys meet at EMI? Yeah, Chad's a good buddy. We met uh, during my years at EMI Publishing. He was working with another good friend of ours, Rick Kua, and uh, they came up and had a meeting in New York City in our office, and we hung out and hit it off, and we've been friends ever since. That's awesome. Well, you just went through a lot really quickly there, so I, I would love to hear, just to, to 
to go through that part of your journey a little bit, how how does one first of all go into you know because you're you're an artist, but how are you balancing between doing your own thing, working at labels, or did you kind of treat it like, well, this season I'm going to focus on working for other artists, working for labels, promoting their music. And it was a hundred percent like 40 to 50 hours a week doing the, the label full-time job. And then, you know, another 20 to 30 hours a week doing independent artist stuff. And I was my own writer, producer, manager, uh, booking agent. I was finding, finding the leads, putting it all together and just kind of building the business on my own. Well, that's so, so basically you weren't sleeping for a while. No, I wasn't. I was, I was grabbing a couple hours a night and that was kind of it. And I had, at that time I had two, uh, two, two newborn kids. I had a, my son and daughter were, you know, a year and two years old. It was crazy. So a lot of fun. And you may have you 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 went over it so quickly, but I just I I don't want to skip over the fact that you've you've also been a very successful concert promoter as well. Yeah. So over the last couple of years, um, I built this thing called the Northeast Christian Concert Coalition, and just wanted to start bringing Christian artists up to the Northeast. And so we've done runs with uh, Mark Schultz and Unspoken and Jackie Velasquez and Loving the Outcome, and we just. This this area in particular is just desperate for Christian music, so I needed to find a way to bring those artists up here. And for me as an artist, too, it's helpful because I basically put myself on the tour when I promote it, so <laughs> it all works out. <laughs> well, that's that. Hey, you're you're finding ways to add value to other people, and at the same time, you're obviously able to get the word out about what you're doing. So I think it's it's really smart. Um, so. Nowadays, you know, we're, we're obviously in a crazy time at the time of recording this. We're in, you know, still in the COVID lockdown. Who knows, you know, by the time this comes out, I'm, I'm assuming not a lot will have changed by then. You're doing some really interesting things to innovate as an independent artist. Can you, can you just share a little bit of what that is, what that looks like? Um, I just think it's brilliant what you're doing. Yeah, so we... Um you know, I went full time with this about seven months ago at their time of recording here and had a first couple of the first couple of months were great. Like we were doing 15, 18 shows a month. I was continuing my live streams. We had a whole bunch of stuff cooking. And then this whole thing happened and we had to kind of were forced to pivot um, to 100 percent live streaming. Uh, and building a membership site out of that and just working through all of these new things that we found. So I had, you know, I found myself at the beginning of March with like 30 to 40 shows canceled over the next couple of months, which was, you know, I think a lot of musicians can relate to that. And uh, so I just dove headfirst into live streaming. I had built um, a live stream audience on Facebook over the past couple of years. We were doing every Monday night, uh, 8 p.m. at DaveOnFacebook.com and just doing uh, hour, two hours and built a community there. But now with all this going on, we're doing Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sundays sometimes. Uh, so three or four live streams a week. And we're finding that the audience is building. Uh, the merch store online is doing great. We're getting donations. And uh, the membership site has definitely ramped up. And we jumped off Patreon about 
six or eight months ago uh, to just build my own site through my WordPress website. So it's been um, interesting to kind of get people off of the Patreon platform into my new platform so they could get a better, in my opinion, a better experience. So, and, and is that all, all through your, your Facebook group? Yeah, it's all come off the Facebook group, which has been kind of wild. Uh, we've basically built a community on Facebook that's almost like a church. And we have between, you know, 50, 75, 100 people every night that come on board, hang out. Um, and now all of those people, you know, we've built a community. So all of those people are talking to each other offline. Uh, they're getting coffee with each other. They're calling each other, encouraging each other, praying for each other, worshiping together. So it's really turned into this really close-knit community of folks all built through a Facebook live stream. That's amazing. And you said you've been doing the live streams for about two years now? Yeah, we started the Monday night thing uh, probably three years ago. And, you know, we started with one or two people on the live stream. It was super depressing. And then uh, I just stuck with it and upped my gear, upped my game, made it better, made it sound better, made it look better. And slowly people just started ticking on and telling their friends about it and saying, hey, you should come and check this out and you should check this out. And uh, through some pretty aggressive email marketing and Facebook ads and all that kind of stuff, we built the audience that we have today. That's, that's awesome. And when people go online and they see things like this that people are doing, I think often they think that they're built overnight. But can you tell us just the importance of maybe consistency and just showing up? Like when you do it, I'm guessing you're not really ever skipping a week. You've kind of just been doing it consistently. No. So it, it certainly has been consistent. Like there are some weeks where I'm on the road and I'll find a rehearsal room or a space or something and still have my live stream because I'm not, I'm not going to stop doing it. So yeah, the consistency is huge. The recurring content uh, is, is just massive. People find my live streams and go back, you know, months, years sometimes, and just rewatch them. And we, because the, the, the watch thing just keeps ticking up and up and up. And I'm like, what is going on? And people are actually sitting down and watching these hour, two hour long live streams or putting them on in the background for music and all that kind of stuff. So for me, recurring content has been a game changer and it's really just built up my ministry and my business. It's been awesome. Well, I love it. I think you're, you're on the cutting edge. A lot of, a lot of artists, are looking for ways to create income when we're living in an era where the music itself isn't always a viable way to do that. Um, it, it can be a good marketing tool for the artist as the brand, but the music itself, you're not selling a, an album online anymore. It's just streaming. And then, yeah, it's a pennies game over, over a long period of time. If you get on the right Spotify playlists and get your stuff building up, it can turn into something, but there's all these other ways that you can be adding value and creating community and providing other things and, and being able to monetize that. So it sounds like that's exactly what you've been doing. And uh, it's, it's turned into like basically what's a membership opportunity now, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and, and we've found that, I mean, the Spotify and the digital platforms, like it's wonderful to have your, your music on some of those playlists, but at the end of the day, they're like vanity metrics, right? Like it's nice to have 
50,000 monthly listeners. But at the end of the day, like you're making 25 or 30 bucks. So I'd rather go out, sell a couple of CDs or a t-shirt in a night on a live stream and make that exact amount of money. And that's what we're doing. Like for a minute, I was all focused on, Hey, how can we get on Spotify and all that kind of stuff? And it's great. And we still launch music there, but I've found that it's so much more productive to run a Facebook ad, get a new fan, have them come on board, buy a CD, and then become a fan for life instead of losing all of their info on Spotify, which we just can't track at all. Well, and it's so, it's so counterintuitive for how most musicians think. I mean, we, we've we talked on, on other podcast episodes about how it's really important nowadays that the artist... To be successful, when an artist approaches a, a label or wants to, to, to release their stuff on a national scale, they've got to realize nowadays that they're not only just responsible for bringing the music, they're responsible for bringing the music and the audience. Totally. Is that something that you've always just kind of innately understood or did you – like how did you learn this side of things? What what kind of sets you off down that path of being able to create that? Yeah, Um I guess it's just been persistence on my side and just f- trying to find a way to learn it and sinking the hours in to actually learn it. Um, I learned early on, like I had a record that came out 15 years ago now. Oh my goodness. And um, I tried a radio thing with that and nothing happened. And I remember spending two or $3,000 on just independent radio promotion and it just collapsed. And I was like, man, that was three grand. I could have used on something else. And then even this last record, uh, two years ago, I spent 6,000 bucks on radio promotion. At the end of the day, I was like, you know what, man, that's the last time I'm ever going to do radio promotion unless I am ready to go with everything else that they need for it. Like the, the touring and national touring and all that stuff. And I just decided to just sink the money and the effort and the time and all of it into just doing my own thing and building. Let's get a core base of 500 to 1,000 fans that love what I'm doing. And we'll tune in every week on the live stream and just make it happen. And they are, I mean, they've, they've, they've dubbed themselves my pedigroupies. It's ridiculous, <laughs> but they love it. <laughs> To the point where I use a, a, um, a manufacturer called Printful, the kind of a print-on-demand t-shirt company, and I made a Pettigroupy t-shirt, and now that's available in the store, and it's selling like hotcakes. So. That's amazing. Well, I, I would love to get a little bit tactical for a second. I, I'm, I'm, on your, I'm on your website, and this is, this is what I just thought was so just different. It's a, it's a guy that understands how to um, build a community and build a membership site within the music industry. You've got this thing on here where you can join Dave's band. Tell, tell, tell me what, what that is. So join Dave's band is basically join Dave's band.com. And, uh, it's my membership site and it started over on Patreon and it did pretty well over there, but I found that platform is awesome for somebody that's just starting like, you can really, I just found it a little limiting. So now we've got this new WordPress build platform through member mouse. And we have $2 up until $1,000 a month that people can join at. And they get different levels of membership and different stuff for each level. And I'm building new products all the time to incentivize people to 
you know, upgrade their membership from two to five to 10. Like we just launched a new product um, last week. We're doing these things called Worship Underground. It's basically a worship uh, live stream on Zoom. So if you are a member at the $30 a month or higher level, then you get access to that. So we had a couple of people jump from 15 to 30 because they wanted to get access, you know? So uh, and then there's $50 and we have new stuff that happens there and monthly t-shirts that come out. I just started that thing this year. And there's just, we're just always trying to innovate within that platform. So people have value when they come in and they're like, Hey, I want to support this guy, but the other stuff that's coming through, very cool stuff to get as well. Yeah, I think so many artists struggle to come up with these ideas of like, if I was going to start a membership site, what would I even, what would people be paying for every month? And really what a lot of people want is once they become a fan of somebody, they want that access. And a lot of that is what they're, what they're paying for. And it's, it's they like your music, they, they want to support you, but you're giving them a lot of really cool stuff too, you know, up, up to your, um, you know, unicorn level, you've got the thousand dollars a month and it's just amazing. So we're still waiting for the unicorn. We don't have any yet, but <laughs> we're waiting. <laughs> well, I, I, I love it. So, um, can you tell us maybe just really quickly, if, if an artist was, thinking about wanting to create some sort of a membership platform. You mentioned you started on Patreon. You're now on ClickFunnels. Um, do you want to tell us about some of the tools and maybe what you would recommend somebody start out on if they wanted to pursue that route? Yeah, I mean, the, the ClickFunnels thing is just, it, it literally is just that, a funnel. If you're not familiar with ClickFunnels, it's basically a way to build a funnel to get people's information so that then you can market to them. And I used ClickFunnels to launch a couple of records where we did um, 11 day funnels and a five day funnel. And it was basically you sign up and then for 11 days, you get a song download and a devotion based on that song every single day. And then on the 12th day, you get an offer that says, Hey, did you like all of this? Why don't you buy the record? I'll send you a signed CD and a few other things that came in the package. And that kind of built my email list through MailChimp. And then that led to being able to market to those people for the monthly memberships. And we built that monthly membership site that you're looking at right there on WordPress uh, through a platform called MemberMouse. And that one has been really, really great. So the ClickFunnels thing for me totally worked um, as far as developing and finding new, uh, just new fans. It was really, really cool. And I still use it today. Like I just, I actually used it when we launched the Jackie Velasquez ticket promo. Like we had people running through a ClickFunnels funnel to sell tickets to a show. So it was kind of neat. Really? Yeah. How are, how are you getting people to go to the front end of the funnel? Is it through paid Facebook traffic or yep. Yep. other? I, I rely heavily on Facebook. I mean, my target demographic is like 40 to 60 year old uh, soccer moms. So we just run uh, ads to them based on uh, demographic and musical interests and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, the learn more or the sign up here button, and that takes them right to the funnel. They get in, they get a couple of different things. And then at the end of it, buy, or buy a ticket, you know, get a free poster or something like that. So it's been fairly effective. No, I wouldn't say it's hugely effective, but it's certainly accounted for 50% of the sales that I'm working through. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's a big number. And so it, for, for somebody who was starting out thinking about doing 
a version of this. I mean, would you suggest them after having kind of gone through and tried a couple of these things? Do you have to be a web developer or a super tech genius to be able to do something like this? No, the beauty. So I'm not a, a developer. I, I have a, a guy that works for me because I just don't have the time nor the patience to get through that. But um, the beauty of ClickFunnels is I learned that system myself really, really easy. Uh, and it's really pretty powerful. I mean, you can really build some awesome looking pages in ClickFunnels. And then, uh, you know, click to buy is super easy and payment setups is really easy. You know, one click buy, all that kind of stuff is great in ClickFunnels. So you don't have to be like super techie to get it. Just go on there spend, I, I literally spent 48 hours and took a whole weekend and just dove headfirst into it. And by Monday, I had a nice funnel put together. That's, that's awesome. Well, it's, it's, it's a good thing for, for musicians who are maybe thinking, well, do I have to become a web developer to do this stuff? And obviously it sounds like the answer is no. So, I mean, um, look, you, you got to put the time in and man, it's a bear. Like the, the music, of course, I want to just sit down here and write music and write songs and all that stuff. But man, it's it's eighty percent marketing and twenty percent music right now. Yeah, well, that's and, and are, I, I talk talk a little bit about like I know when a lot of people get into music, they don't they don't get into it because they want to be marketers. They get into it for the music, but like, how do you how do you find the balance? Like, is it just certain seasons where you're like writing and recording and, and, and doing that side of things. And then there are, are there certain seasons where you're solely fo focused on marketing or is it kind of like all of it all the time? It's all of it all the time. I use a program called Asana and uh, that basically maps out my day for me. And um, I communicate with folks through Slack and it's, you know, timed out like the first two hours every day, we're going to sit down, we're going to write. And then, you know, 11 a.m., we start marketing and we just roll until five or six o'clock at night. And that's what we're working on doing. I mean, I'm, I'm making my own graphics now through Photoshop. I'm learning um, Adobe Premiere Pro to help with my video editing and all that stuff. So it's, you know, it is everything happening all at once, all the time. And now I went ahead and did this thing called the Song of the Month Club for my members. <laughs> and now I've got, I'm forcing myself to write a new song every month that I then deliver to them uh, on a cassette tape <laughs> with a handwritten lyric and a handwritten devotion. So I'm forcing myself to write, which is, which is going to be kind of cool. Hey, well, you've, you've set yourself up for a system where you have to be creative and you have to market at the same time, which is probably, probably, a, 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 an idea that many out there should consider. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll provide some, you, you've mentioned a lot of really great tools. We'll, we'll definitely provide some, some links to those in the descriptions. I know you mentioned you're working with ClickFunnels, you work with Asana, you're working on Slack. Um, Printful, you said, is what you're, you're using to do your, your merch. Yep. Well, I'm using it to do like merch on demand. Like if you look at my store there, there's a lot of stuff that gets pushed through Printful. But the problem is margins aren't great. You know, like where you can go off and get a t-shirt done for seven or eight bucks. If you do 30 or 40 of them on Printful, it's one at a time and it costs like $14 for a t-shirt or something like that. So you got to mark up a little bit or not make a lot in your ROI. So it's, it's kind of a different thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, but it's a great site for, to, to, to not have stock on hand, you know, as an indie artist, it's awesome. 
Yeah, and you don't have to front the cost of printing 30 or 40 of them, and then you've got to warehouse them, you've got to ship them, you've got to deal with all that stuff. So um, tell us a little bit your, of, of your thoughts on going the independent artist route versus going the label route. You've, you've obviously worked on the side of the label, so you know what a label can offer. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I... Um... I mean, I started this Christian music career 15 years ago, and I thought the first thing that I wanted was indeed the label, the publisher, and all of that. And I found that as I started writing and recording my own stuff, I had a producer buddy of mine that was co-writing with me, and we were pretty much doing whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, however we wanted, and I could just basically do it all myself. And I really started to get addicted to that. And that's what led to the drive that I was just going to do this by myself. And sure, I mean, I'm not going to say it's, it's awesome every day. It gets super frustrating. You know, when I don't get on a certain Spotify playlist or something like that, it's, it's frustrating because the label artists do and we don't. But I mean, the quality of stuff that we're pushing out there right now is, is right on par with what the labels are pushing out. And I'm an indie artist and I'm happy to control it on myself and do all the marketing and all of that stuff. And maybe it's because I'm a control freak. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but I really enjoy the process. And I've just now started over the last year or two. I've got one guy that helps me with marketing now. But everything up until then, I was doing myself. And I had a full-time job rolling as well. So it was a ton of work. But I loved it. So in, in hindsight, I mean, if, 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 an, if an artist is considering you know, I really want this label thing or I'm kind of choosing to go the independent route. Like, would would you say, is there a point when it makes sense to, to pull the trigger and go the label route? Or how, how do you, like, how would you approach that? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I think nowadays, and there's not, I love, like, I love the labels. Like, they're awesome. What they do is amazing. They're brilliant at marketing. They're brilliant at digital stuff. Like, it's just, everything they do is great. But it, I think it all depends on the artist, right? Like, if you've got somebody that that is their dream and that's what they're going to go for, then they'll find a way to get there. But that wasn't my path. And I, and I really find that now when I go out and play a live show, I hang at the merch table and I hang at the merch table until the last person leaves and I pray with people. It's full, it's ministry. Like it really is ministry for me. And that's what I really, really love about being able to do it the way that I'm doing it right now. It's just the, the relationships, developing relationships with people and building, literally building community, which has been amazing. That's awesome. So a lot of what you do is in the worship music realm of things. Am I, am I accurate to say that would be the case? Yeah. Yeah. We're, I, I guess I'm a full on worship artist uh, and I write my own stuff too. So we, we have a nice balance between the two stuff. So talk, talk to me a little bit about the process of, of writing original worship music. I, I know so many of the songs that are, are done in churches, it seems like kind of come out of a spontaneous live set moment do you kind of have to put yourself into a mentality when you're doing that? Do you have like set collaborators that you're doing a lot of this with, or is it kind of just like, what's, what's your process like? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. The, the worship side of things that I do is probably 90% covers. And I did a record uh, about four years ago called the walk. 
and it was my first ever worship album. And it was fun to write. Um, I wrote it hundred percent by myself and my producer came in and he wanted to change all this stuff. And I was like, nah, man, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> this is how we're doing it. Like we're keeping the lyrics here. Cause they're a very, uh, scripturally based and, um, and then over the last couple of years, like I got a record called Faith in Gasoline, and that was with a guy named Scotty Wilbanks, who co-wrote a bunch of stuff with me and produced it. And that was not a worship record at all. You know, it was kind of a singer-songwriter record with a lot of good lean, you know, pop uh, and some 80s stuff on there. So it was a lot of fun to make. So again, like not having a label, I don't have to be forced to go down these certain roads. I'm I'm pretty much free to do whatever I want to do. But I, I, maybe because I'm in New York, I don't really collaborate that often with a lot of folks. But now with Zoom calls, everything's changed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly made geography not really a restriction anymore. Um, well, I was going to ask you actually about that. You hit on it a little bit. I saw your latest record was called Faith in Gasoline. T- tell us about that. What's What's that all about? So this record is two years old, but I'm still pushing it really, really hard. I just wrote a book uh, called Faith and Gasoline. It's a 140-page devotional book based on the record. And we're launching that um, next month. And uh, Faith and Gasoline is basically, this ministry runs on two things, the faith that we have in Jesus and the gas that we put in this big black van that I use to drive from gig to gig. (laughs) So that's basically it. And I mean, the, the, the core of it is we're all on this journey together. And uh, let's just find a way to, to find Jesus in all of it. Mm, so good. Make sure we'll, we'll put links for that as well. And it, it looks like there's you're, you're definitely tied in with, um, well, two that I can find, Holt International and There is Hope Movement. Um, tell us about those ministries that you work with. So those two ministries, I started the There is Hope Movement. Uh, we work in the addiction and recovery community. Uh, I lost my nephew three years ago to an accidental heroin overdose, uh, actually right here in my basement. Mm. And it's been tough for us to kind of come to grips with that as a family. But I remember when that happened, I sat with my sister on our deck in the back and I was like, hey, there's one of two things that could happen now. One, we could get lost in the grief or two, we could somehow use this for God's glory. And we opted for the latter and we started this thing called the There is Hope Movement. And we basically act as a conduit between folks that need help from substance abuse addictions and folks that can help. And we've partnered with Teen Challenge and Celebrate Recovery. We go there and lead worship for a bunch of those guys. And we're always looking to find a way to lead worship for recovery groups because it's amazing to go and play at these services. So it's just awesome. So we've got these bracelets that say there is hope on them and a portion of the proceeds goes straight back to Teen Challenge. And we just love working with those guys. And then Holt, that's the other half of the ministry. We just love to see kids get sponsored and have their lives saved uh, through, you know, $34 a month, right? It's just, it's incredible to be able to change a kid's life for $34 a month. So just recently I was out on tour with uh, David Phelps and I was just as a Holt International spokesperson, which was pretty amazing and brand new for me. Like I wasn't playing any music. It was just me going out and talking about Holt. So it was pretty awesome experience. I love it. Well, you're, you're using your platform for, for doing good and saving lives, which is amazing. So it's great. Um, so what advice would you give to artists who are wanting to lead worship at the scale that, that you're doing it? Like there's a lot of people out there who, 
in Christian music, it's very rapidly evolved from, you know, singer songwriter, pop Christian music. And now it's, it's everything is sort of heading towards, um, worship artists. What, what advice would you give to artists who are wanting to, to pursue that route? Well, I've certainly embraced it. I know there's a lot of guys that are just pushing away from it and it's changing and morphing, I think in a good way. I think we're heading back towards something that's a little more genuine and real and organic as opposed to all produced up, which I'm really excited about. Um, but it's all persistence, man. It's just working at your craft and just putting the time in to really make it as good as it can possibly be. Like the thing, the reason I get booked so often is because the quality of the product that I bring is there. And that's only because I've been getting up in front of stages, uh, getting on stages for the last 15 years, you know, 20 years. So it's, it's all persistence and building your craft and making it work um, through live shows for me for live shows. Yeah. So good. Well, I could ask so many questions. I know you're a busy man. You're, 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 you're doing, it sounds like a whole lot of things right now that are really exciting and getting ready to launch your book. So don't want to keep you for too long, but I do want to have a little bit of a discussion about Dave Pettigrew as music supervisor. So if you're cool with that, we are going to do that as a part of our deep dive. If people are interested in learning about, you know, what music supervisors do, what kind of music do they look for? How do you attract the right music? Um, some advice for songwriters wanting to pursue sync, head over to madeitmusic.com and you can access our deep dives, including this one right there. Before we do that, are you ready to dive into our lightning round? I guess so. I don't know if I have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's something on your bucket list that you haven't gotten to do yet? Uh, Well, I'm because of this faith in gasoline thing, I'm looking to do a tour straight down route 66 because a lot of the book, as you'll see, is there's shots from Route 66 and the lore of Route 66. So I'm I'm looking to start at the beginning and tour right down that whole thing to the end and, and really hit every stop along the way. So it should be cool. Love it. Uh, what's an artist that you're personally enjoying right now? It's uh, interesting. Uh, you know... I really love for King country these days. I still love what they're doing. I love the songwriting process that they have. Uh, we were lucky enough to open up for them a couple of times and I was pulled into, uh, the, the prayer before they went on stage and I was just like, it's legit. So I've really been digging what they're doing these days. Yeah. So good. What's your go-to series or movie when you want to watch something, but can't find anything to watch? Uh, it's Seinfeld all the time. <laughs> I'll second that. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite or most used app on your phone? Uh, probably Asana. Yeah, that really just guides my day and lets me know exactly what's happening at what time, when. Yeah. Very cool. And lastly, if you're on a desert island, what's one non-survival-related item you'd want to bring? Uh, probably a copy of U2's The Joshua Tree. <laughs> It's a good, 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 uh, good choice there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been a blast. And like I said, we are going to be doing our deep dive on you as a music supervisor and, and what all goes into that. So people can check that out at madeitmusic.com. Dave, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, man. Absolute pleasure to be here. Appreciate what you're doing for all of us indies. <laughs> 